Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Um, how is Toronto? Uh, it's a gray, gray day. Um, S- same here. On, it's a uh, spring. <laughs> yeah. Spring in Toronto. But gray, gray is kind of nice. It's uh, I don't know. I don't know why people hate gray so much. It's it's not bad. I think you like gray in October, November, because you're like, yes, I can get back to work. Like no one's gonna guilt trip me into going to play frisbee in the park. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have to feel bad about being boring. Yeah, but at this time of year, you're like, man, I just really like to go for a walk. <laughs> yeah, but you can walk in the gray. It's true, and the I, gray is not gonna kill you when it's when it's rainy. Yeah, that's. Have you ever seen the video for we, John? When John are we Lennon? gonna do our episode? Is just about the weather. Just oh yeah, well, yeah that's true. We can't. I won't, yeah, well, so we're, sa- we're saving that for the one hundredth episode. <laughs> we're almost at twenty four, so it'll be soon. We'll have been yeah. speaking for twenty four hours straight. Is this a world record of the the, the most prolific artist no. podcast? No, definitely not. Uh, no? Bad at sports has like <laughs> three hundred oh, or okay. so episodes. Okay, have you ever have... listened to Bad at Sports or do you is know? It, is it Nicholas O'Brien? Mm-hmm, but I think there's others involved. Nicholas once interviewed <laughs> interviewed me for it, yeah. But uh, I never made the cut. I didn't. <laughs> what's the, what's the topics of? Uh, is it interviews? Or what what can you describe it? Yeah, as far as uh, the episodes I've listened to, it'll be interviews, but it's very and it's very conversational, um, similar to ours, I think, in that regard. So it's a good one to listen to. Um, but it's not it's not the same two people. Every, I don't know how people. <laughs> why people would listen to us it's the same two people when you could have an interview <laughs> where it's different every week but well podcasts are i think they're counterintuitive the 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 things you it's same for me with instagram the things i follow are people i know not uh, celebrities or news outlets or, so mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah every, everyone wants uh what well, i guess what are we uh personalities uh something like that. Oh, say, yeah. say, say that in the least personality trip. Well, I, I posted, a, I saw a Beavis and Butthead do America film poster at the movie theater, and I posted it on uh, Instagram, and somebody commented, Good Point Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a But then, th- then the next comment was that Beavis kind of looks like Kellyanne Conway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kellyanne Conway is the, it's the, she, yeah, the, the end of every joke and, and then there's another punchline which is Kellyanne Conway <laughs> <laughs> the end of every joke and the end of civilization <laughs> yeah uh anyway um we I don't know I, I, that maybe it's because of our laughter uh, the way I laugh I mean did you grew up what year were you born oh man why did you have that 1979 Okay. Like, yeah. So we both grew up exactly. We were the age of Beavis and Butthead when they were coming up. Yeah, that was like I remember when The Simpsons came out. God, and I remember like it being really like as an example, Beavis and Butthead also I think existed around the same time too. But um, I was like, and Ren and Stimpy. That's it. Yeah. Ren- yeah. 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 But I, I particularly Simpsons was a family, and Ren and Stimpy is too animals but beavis and butthead i just remember being in class and teachers calling me and my friends oh there go beavis and butthead we would you know Mm. you're a teenager and you're giggling in class and exactly that yeah i don't yeah you know what i think is unfair about that is that these were all um really male characters oh my Uh, god (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Why did uh, I take it there? But you know, yeah. I, like <laughs> I remember the time when you could just watch a cartoon and not feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but except the Simpsons had Maggie, right? I think. Well, anyway. then there was Daria, that was the spin-off of Beavis and Butt. That was for girls. Oh, but, really? Yeah. Well, why did? Yeah, it's. I guess at that age, though, there's a lot of segregation among like the girls and boys play on different sides of the field and do different things, but. I never really felt comfortable with that, even as a young person. Even at the time where you're like, oh, these comic books don't have female heroes. Yeah, yeah, I felt really bad about it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't believe me. I no, think, I, was, I, I, I don't know. I mean, of course. So one yeah. thing you don't know about me, Raphael, is like I, I get along a lot better with women than with men. I've never felt comfortable around men, except for you. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I, yeah, mean, I, I, mean, I mean, I've seen you. You're comfortable with everybody. That's, well, that's kind of true. But you know what I don't? Yeah. I feel really uncomfortable with. This isn't today's topic. Why are we talking? Anyway, I feel really feel, uncomfortable. Do you feel uncomfortable around mass murderers? I feel really uncomfortable when you go out like with a bunch of guys you don't really know, like for a lunch or dinner or something like that. And there's like a there's a scenario that happens that most women don't know about. That's really, really terrible. And it'll be like there's a female server or something like that. And these are usually people that aren't your friends. And there's a this has happened to me enough times in my life where I'm just like, I think this is kind of a standard thing. And someone will say something about the appearance of this, uh, of a this sexual waiter. comment, a sexual comment will come up inevitably, and like <laughs> it's just the most uncomfortable. It's like David Brent farted or something, and it's yeah. just like. <laughs> <laughs> no, what's really what's really uncomfortable to me is when people get really demanding, like disproportionately demanding to waiting staff. Oh yeah, that's it, also really really like this stupid power play where that's they're my like, mom. There's there, there's too much foam in my latte. I need <laughs> yeah, to speak yeah. to the manager. Yeah. That's just as bad. You're right because it it show, it's like kind of a classist thing. Like they're superior to the person that serves them. And it, yeah. yeah, you can tell a lot by how people treat uh, service staff. And I think if you've never worked as a you know someone doing service or customer service, then you know you don't know. I mean, it basically, it it sucks to be around jerks. Whatever, yeah, that's, that's whatever sex or religion or skin color <laughs> or income bracket, uh, it just sucks to be around mean people. Yeah, and I think it's just that there are more men that are jerks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's a great pivot. Into I mean, because we, we wanted to talk about video games today. Yeah, and, and yeah. video games are related to popular culture and the. Uh, yeah, and there consumers are some... traditionally were boys, and it's a very boyish uh, well. Culture. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even say that. It's just yeah, the the culture is kind of like that, and there's like the types of games that have made have been made, and the way the heroes have been presented have often been uh, really these like masculine heroes rather than uh, anyway. And women. I mean, were always... I, I would argue that the in the very beginning of video games, uh, things were so abstract that the, mm. uh, you didn't have the issue. Because what was your was, first? Uh... I mean, your... like Pong, is, is that, are those male or female? <laughs> well, that's like two dicks in a box. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say this. I'm turning into a jerk right on the air with you. Yeah, uh, yeah you're right. Pong and the abstraction. But then Mario, right away, you've got a mustache. Like, why'd they have to put that? No, that's not there? right away. There's a big gap between Pong and Mario. <laughs> we, we can't just go. Yeah, Mario and the princess and everything, that's pretty stereotypical. I mean, Donkey you Kong. also have to give people a break. Like, we're on a trajectory from the Grimm brothers to mm. now, and it, it, it 
you can't be angry that people in the 80s still believed in the princess metaphor and that it's changing you should be positive that it's changing now and not be grumpy that mm. your teenage video games were sexist right yeah well yeah i'm thinking so I, I, i'm just trying one. to be positive i hope no, we're no, going I, in the right uh, direction no this is a good i like where we're going so what was your first what was your first console i never owned any console you weren't allowed to like your parents didn't let you know. well it i it, um just to give our listeners some info, when, whenever we do a podcast, we have a big list of topics, and then uh, we might chat on, uh, on on text or whatever. But we we try not to talk too much about the topic, so we save uh, so it's spontaneous when we do the podcast. <laughs> so Jeremy, we we mentioned, oh, we should do an episode about video games, and I replied, oh, I'm not much of a video game expert, but that could be funny. So well, I it, think it's you funny because I, I I make I make interactive art and I do everything on the computer, but I never liked video games. Yeah, so I mean, I'm just dun, trying to dun, figure dun, out. Dun, yeah, I how dropped that, the bomb. I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I under, I can't figure out how. And then I, the, we're gonna eventually get there. But like, did you ever when you were, um, when you were younger, you, you know, your friends were playing? Did you ever go to, over to a friend's house? Yeah, I, I remember friends so the my first i think the first video game i saw was frogger like uh, my stepfather was always early with computers so he had a computer of his own and it had frogger was it like on a on like a amiga or no it was on a windows like a microsoft computer oh, like, like a, a DOS 386 computer. or something yeah some dos some pre uh, mouse computer did it have and a turbo button turbo boost button oh yeah <laughs> it ran on nitrous oxide <laughs> no, but uh, I just remember Frogger and seeing it, but it was too difficult for me because I was four or five, and uh, you okay. needed so much control and reflexes. And then I just remember my first experience with the computer were Mac Paint at some of my parents' friends' house. They had a Mac Classic, and I, I just loved that, like losing, using mm. a mouse and drawing something and then filling it with weird fills. And did you? Um, did but you meet video games, I just never cared about. I just, I'm, I just thought, oh, I, I have to do this, this repetitive gesture over and over again, and I can't make any decisions. Mm. So it felt like work to you right away. I don't know. Yeah, it's like tedious. Like, it, the same thing. <laughs> I, I preferred Lego to GI Joe because I never liked this idea of like grabbing characters that are pre-assembled and then going. Wow. Right, right, right. Like, what seems, choices do I get to make? Yeah, so I liked, right. I like mm-hmm. getting Legos and not even following the instructions. I, I don't want to sound like, oh, I'm, I'm so creative or whatever. But no, no. It, but I understand just, what you're I, saying. I liked having a huge pile of Legos, completely uh, random, and then getting all the the gears and the different colors, and either making a dream house or making a weird Batmobile that had functions that the movie didn't have, mm-hmm. or assembling like i just like making stuff and coming up with stuff so video games but that's contradictory because i also like cartoons and just watching them so um, i mean i did all the same things um i would i would say though that what, what like when i played video games with my brother and sister that's kind of we got our first console well i had a kind of a, a crappy console ColecoVision, and i didn't actually i wasn't that much into it similar to your frogger thing where i was like mm, this is kind of limited like i even knew at that age like mm, this is like <laughs> not that great but <laughs> yeah. i remember when i was a teenager i can't like i wasn't allowed to have a console and then i got old enough that i could actually afford to buy one kind and of myself what was the, uh, did you have an argument with your parents i want no, the console I think they just loosened like, up like some 
they loosened up for some reason. I don't know. They were like having marital difficulties or something. But like suddenly I was allowed to drink soda pop and um, and and play video games. And they got my dad brought home like a the Sony uh, PlayStation uh, one year. Yeah. And I I like modded it so I could play pirate games. But that's pretty late. That's, you were already an old man. I know, but I was re- I was actually really behind as a child. Like um, okay. I was still playing with Legos when I was 17. I, yeah. I, I'll just admit it. And I was like, I was really against growing up. I was like, this is kind of okay. I'm, I'm fine. Like, I'm yeah, really enjoying funny. myself. That, that, I, I remember watching cartoons at 17 or something. I was like, when am I going to start not liking this? Because I still <laughs> exactly, really like this. Exactly. Even if it's stupid He-Man or G.I. Joe. I, just, I, I mean, it's pretty compelling stories. Yeah. <laughs> It's like I was watching like not compelling stuff too, like really weird spin-off stuff from Disney, like Darkwing Duck. (laughs) Yeah, really bad stuff. And I was like, actually, I like what they're doing with the characters. Yeah, but (laughs) But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's more in retrospect that I find video games interesting. Yeah. Well, anyway, once I I think what happened was like I got my uh, this console. You could mod a console. Modding was like this process of like. of, of you'd install like an extra chip or you go get get it kind of modded and then you could you could play pirated games and oh, they yeah. were like they were like a dollar to buy in chinatown yeah and so that's I had that's like, that's where you your moral compass just went off the wall yeah it was like my first like it's pre-internet hoarding experience and so i had like like no joke like 500 games or something. like i just like <laughs> all every week i would go get more and i'd be like i'd bring home like five games to play on the weekend yeah and what happened though is like not only to get a good survey of like every kind of imaginable genre but like i i guess stopped studying altogether <laughs> like i just like my <laughs> grades just like i had a similar tank. thing when i got a tv in my bedroom and i stopped reading i, I yeah. was always reading before but then you get you kind of get to this point where you get bored and so what happens then is my brother and i we would like we would come up with games inside the game like so A racing game wouldn't be a racing game. It would be like we turn into a game of tag or like we would always break the rules of the games. And then I think I think I I was also were you good at it immediately? Because I just wasn't that good. Maybe that's part of it. Um, I think it's because I played it. No, I wasn't that good, but I would play it. My brother and sister would make me play certain games and it would be like a, a process of like. It was like a teamwork thing where they were my boss. They're like, no, go there. No, do that. You're so stupid. Mm. You did that right. <laughs> and it kind of, like, as a sibling dynamic, things changed. And then yeah. what happened after that is that we all decided to make games together. So we, because we had a computer, we'd start to, we you, made you, games. There was an engine or you built levels in a game or something? Um, like, we started out in HyperCard making things. And then um, we'd all, actually, we'd always done that. But then my brother, actually, there was this game called Marathon, which Bungie made, which became Halo. Um, and we, you, it came with like, or it was easy to get a level editor. And so we downloaded the level editor and, and I, we all started making like, like you said, dream houses and stuff. So it was a lot like Lego. And I think Minecraft fills this gap now, but then, um, my brother just got obsessed with it so much so that he's an architect now. Now he's an architect. Yeah. Yeah. At at shop, which was one of the top, um, architecture firms. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, so a lot of my creative energy came from uh, video games. And I remember at the time, um, the conversations I was having with friends were, um, I had this friend, Pascal, and him and I were like, what if there was a game, you know, and it was because of this, like, making games inside of games that we were like, what if there was a game where there were no rules, where it was just an open world? Yeah. <laughs> I remember having this conversation so distinctly. And you could do whatever you want, right? You know, it was your your thing about Frogger being so constrained. We also felt the same way. 
and and you know that obviously came went on to become Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, then... I I think for me, I'm trying to think back. So it's not that the game was so constrained. I think I was just not good at it. The same, I I'm not good at sports, and that it's the same thing where you like something if you're good at it. If you're not good at it, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so fast forward to being a, a young artist, and this is why I, where I want to talk with you about this is that. You know, people asked me for years, like, um, what you know, like if I did an interview or something like that, there was always a question there, like, and how did video games influence your work? Mm-hmm. And I would get really kind of irritated by it. In retrospect, I shouldn't have been because there was a lot of influence there. Yeah. They were always referring to the aesthetic value. And I think the art world looks at, at video games as this, like, especially the tech, kind of the new media art world as this, like, influence that they don't really quite understand. Oh, I disagree. Um, there's so much game art, and people are obsessed with games and game well. There's a, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. There is, but like it's and it's the easy kind of go to. I mean, one of my and some of my favorite artists are artists making um, games. And I remember Ido Stern was one of my first uh, strong influences. If, if people don't know Ido Stern's work, he was um, making art with games early on. Of course, we've mentioned Jody before, who made art with games. Often, the they you know Machinima was part of that, where people were making. We're telling stories. It's, yeah, it. it was kind of the, the the default tool and visual language of media art. Yeah, yeah. And it, I feel I feel like right now or the last five years, the tool is more web culture and weird web tools mm-hmm. and like a crude three D animation tools. But before it was always machinima. Yeah. I guess that's what I meant. Like it was sort of. Um... Yeah, it was like the go-to thing. Like the yeah. same way the, the, the video camera was very defining for a certain era, and then machinima was very defining for a certain era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I know that um, machinima, though, like, that's relatively new. It started in like, around two... It didn't start until YouTube in a big way. It was it existed before them, because my friend Jim Monroe, he was making machinima in 2002, 2003. And he did a piece that I love still today called um, My Trip to Liberty City. And this was like considered, it, it was at all the festivals and stuff. It was really fresh because it's like, it's his voiceover. And he's just like walking around Grand Theft Auto, the, the first one. And he's like commenting on to like, <laughs> as if he's just like a regular citizen. Like, oh, what's that? A little piece of garbage going by. Oh. And he's like talking to women in the streets. Like, oh, how are you doing? It's, like, it's just really funny because he's not killing anyone. He's just sort of like a tourist in this like hostile <laughs> environment. People beating yeah. each other up. Um, but yeah, that was before YouTube. It but, wasn't until YouTube came around that things got really popular. It's uh, what, what I find very interesting is, is seeing the developments of games in, in the the visual language and the visual capabilities so mm-hmm. and the idea of forced abstraction in the beginning because the the capabilities were so limited okay we've got about 16 pixels on the screen mm-hmm. but we want to we want to suggest a deserted island right right and, the, and you can only use three colors and then every year the graphic cards get a little bit better mm-hmm. and so that's a very interesting thing to me the the um, that history, but yeah, and, but you, it's the I same with animation that I that I, I I also really like the beginning of animation. Uh, animation right now, you, the, it's almost no distinction between film and animation. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, it's so crude, and I, I like that point where people have to. There's like this ridiculous <laughs> demands of technology. It's like, no, you can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, and like, oh, we're still gonna make something that refers to reality. 
Well, I think for that reason, in the last few years, um, and a lot of people, I guess, like uh, mentioned Steam uh, when they're talking about this, but like Steam is a platform for independent video game artists and big, big name kind of uh, video games to be published. Um, and, and you might also credit like Apple's App Store with initiating this idea of the independent game community. Yeah, because people say, oh, the App Store is our walled garden, but it's it's way more open than the, the cartridge era of like making a game for PlayStation or Nintendo. That's right. You ha- it was really difficult to work with those major publishers previously. Um, and people I Yeah, they didn't that, want to spend time on itty-bitty games. Yeah, it was all about the blockbuster titles. Um, yeah. yeah. It, but in, if you go on Steam today, uh, which is always actually quite fun, there are all kinds... Like, is it for of games- PC, for Windows? Yeah, it's a, it's a Windows platform. I think it's not Steam. a console platform. No, there's Steam for Mac as well, I think. But I mean, the consoles all have these kind of the, similar uh, stores, but Steam is so deep. Like, there, like, and I'm you know there are like games that are very seriously constrained technically, but hilarious uh, or interesting uh, conceptually. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is why I wanted to talk to you because like a lot of your websites actually appear like they could be steam games or games on yeah, steam yeah maybe i i remember at the time i just really wanted to make anti games so it's uh, uh, they're interactive but there's no winning or losing the, yeah that's a whole thing there's a whole genre there's like you know there's a genre called uh, maybe walking. it's a- ambient gaming that's a term yeah so there's a, one yeah one term a lot of people use now or so i'm not even an expert i have to say i'm not an expert i just know enough but so like walking simulators were a genre that sort of started in the independent game community but that's like, interesting because walking was the in the early game early era of animation that was the signature of the animator the the right. walk of his characters so that the personality of the animator was was in the movement and in the movement of a character walking that was like the basic yeah your signature right and these walking simulator games they usually give you a world and you kind of walk around (laughs) Um, and there's some there's narrative that kind of develops and they're a little bit more like a um they're not always like a a novel or something well yeah unravel there's a game called firewatch i think that's like probably What, what what interests me about that or what always interests me about interactivity Mm-hmm. Is so interactivity is always used uh, in a goal-oriented fashion. So mm-hmm. you see an icon of a folder, and you know that if you double-click it, it will open that folder. Mm-hmm. And in games, you know that if you go the fastest around w- with your race car, you win the race. Yeah. And you know which buttons to press to go left and right and press on the gas. Yeah. Um, and in art, the basic one of the basic functions of art is observing and and representing something you saw and it it's filtered through the artist so you can represent something visually with color or without color you can represent movement you can represent sound there's all these different dimensions to representation mm-hmm. and then interactivity is one of them but because games are so dominant in interactive representation they go very far in in a, representing reality and uh, what interactivity means to that so you're more um what's the word you're more embedded or you're more uh, mm. it, it it's very overwhelming because it's interactive it seems hyper real more than yeah, a movie i see i see what yeah. You're saying, yeah and then i'm interested in just depicting things interactively uh, okay there's there's a bunch of fruit on a table and you can pick up the fruit and you can put it down and that's it yeah so that's why i thought you'd be interested because 
this week a game came out by this guy david o'reilly and um it's a game called everything but the, the previous game that he had out um this is the guy by the way have you seen the movie her yeah um spike jones's movie yeah so in her there's the video game that he's playing with the really rude character yeah yeah yeah, yeah this guy did that oh, so he used to only make fictional or speculative games then he started making real games well, he made first... him animations first right? like yeah that's five right. minute at films yeah so his first real game though is called um mountain <laughs> and in mountain you play your character you are a mountain um, and therefore you can't do anything. <laughs> you sit there. You can kind of rotate the camera and the mountain sometimes speaks and sort of talks uh, to you and sort of reflects on his uh, immobility. And then eventually like sort of different things affect the mountain. And it's it's a really like um, interesting in that it's the I mean, the game is a joke in a way, right? Like it's a one liner, but it also um is like kind of an ecological poem in a way because like the yeah. mountain eventually uh, well it's also funny that as a game it's it's a very um unusual behavior because not much happens but mm -hmm. as a painting it would be the most normal painting ever yeah and this is the thing so this new game that he has out called everything very similar you can but more interaction you can be everything so you can be like a can of of soda or you can be a tree or you can be um i don't know uh a, a hippopotamus whatever a, a giraffe a tree and you kind of leap it's like a, a bit like a meditative thing you leap from thing to thing until you eventually you're out in the universe but you can also what i think is interesting you know i was reading about it um i actually haven't had a chance to play yet i want to play this afternoon but you can just set it to like a screensaver mode and so with mountain a lot of people said this isn't a game it's a screensaver right and mm -hmm. um with everything too a lot of people are like well, you know, it's kind of fun to play, but it's actually more fun to watch. And then as that's they kind of where I'm at with my own work. Also, it's like each project is like I have to choose whether the piece will be interactive or not. And more right. often, I'm like, I think it's better just to stare at it than. Yeah. So as a generate, so it's a generative artwork. And then I started yeah. just a question like, oh, what? Why is there? What is the difference between this video game world, which, by the way, is very supportive, and it seems like people are willing to buy these games. Like I was going to buy everything. Um, and, you know, and, and the media is all talking about it. And like, if you read what they're writing, it's like really deep. It's like deeper than some of the articles people write about, you know, art. <laughs> You're like, yeah, um, a lot of art writing is about uh, power. And, and like, yeah, but this is like, it, I mean, it, it's like people, this guy's like a video game auteur, you know, and I, I don't think he would be accepted necessarily in the art world. Maybe yeah. he would. Um, but do you but, still play commercial video games? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, what the media is talking about, which is kind of cliche in the video game world, that I think a lot of people might there might be annoyed at, is that so much focus uh, is on the major genre games, like the first yeah, person shooters yeah, yeah. and stuff. And then one of these games comes along every once in a while, and it's like, see, video games can be art, and they'll say that, right? And you're yeah. like, uh, why don't you just like look at what art is and maybe <laughs> evolve? It would be it. funny if, if there was an auto-replace of the word art for boring. You see, yeah, video it, games can be boring. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's the same thing with movies, right? It's like, yeah. um, like oh, we're allowed to make a boring movie. Well, yeah, and also like the best film last year, Moonlight. People were like, "Yes, cinema returns." I was like, "You could have been making Moonlight, you know? I mean, you could make movies like that all the time, but you choose not to. You choose to make like Tom Cruise and whomever in like this action thing." Mm -hmm. So, actually, I watched John Wick last night, which has to be like the most because <laughs> I saw that there's John Wick too. I'm like, "Who is this John Wick? What is this?" Did you like it? 
like I realized it was I couldn't decide if it was satire or not because it was like so formulaic to, yeah. to a point where I was like, hmm, I like it because it's like <laughs> the, the, the formula. It's a good airplane so, movie. Yeah, yeah, like it's so well formulated. It, the yeah. genre itself, you're like, hmm, yes, revenge must have it. <laughs> they killed that dog. I have to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and but like, but do uh, you like playing? That's the thing for me. Like I just don't enjoy playing video games but i find them very interesting so i like walking around arcades in in tokyo and seeing what's going mm. on in in game world but just looking over the shoulder of people because so, it's way too hard to go through all the levels like i, I there's one video game that <clears throat> probably um is worth mentioning that i think you might like or you might hate a lot of people hated it but it would if you think about it through this lens of um, an artwork. It's actually one of the most amazing artworks ever made. And it it got a lot of hype, but then it was dissed pretty hard. And, and those who play video games that are listening know I'm about to say, know the three, the, the words I'm about to say, which are, is this game called No Man's Sky. Oh, I never um, heard of it. Yeah, this is the episode where I have no <laughs> Well, then, like, react to this. Okay, just imagine, let's just imagine this was ar- an artwork and not a game. Let's just imagine that uh, this is a Marclay, like, this is like the clock. Uh, Chris, <laughs> and not a video game, right? So imagine yeah. the premise is there are an infinite number of stars in the universe, right? Mm-hmm. And all of those stars have planets. And all of those planets have like ecosystems with like Oh, I did hear about and, this. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And yeah, yeah. what if you could go to every one of those planets and there were near infinite. There's like trillions of these things. And what if that existed as a video game? And you could visit each of these worlds. It's kind of um, like Star Trek. We're like, is that an M-class planet? And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, it's super nerdy for sure. You and yeah. like, what if you could upgrade your ship? But they're like infinite ships that could be built based on algorithms. So ba- basically, it's this algorithmic universe. And the the complaint people have is that like, when you get on these planets, basically you just have to like mine the resources to get to the next one. <laughs> It's but, politically incorrect because of that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there are these robots that, that like scan that are always on every planet for some reason. And uh, they get mad at you if you take too many resources and then you get yeah. killed. Anyway, but you're basically just trying to survive so that you can but get to the next But was it fun to play? Well, a lot of it's the thing is, it's not fun, but it's really kind of meditative. So sometimes I'll play and it's just like I'll spend three hours just because even if you were to walk around a planet, would take you, um, someone did it, it, took them like 90 days or something like this. <laughs> Just like a single one of these trillions yeah. of planets. And so you're like, it's really more of an artwork than it is a fun but game. The, it, for me, it's interesting to see human behavior. So I think we're naturally curious. Mm-hmm. And then um, maybe in olden times, you would just go for a walk. And now right. you go for a walk on your screen because then the bathroom is right there and you can eat <laughs> snacks. No, that's a valid that's a valid point. Like, yeah, explore your own city or like a lot of people have never left their neighborhood, but yeah. they're like willing to travel the solar system <laughs> on their couch. Yeah, so it's it's a very yeah. interesting. Uh, I, I think you naturally will always your body wants to retain energy. So if you can sit on the couch, then you're retaining energy. But couldn't you say the same thing about an artwork? It's like, oh, this artwork's about love, but you've never, you know, you've never really, yeah, really experienced yeah, yeah. love. Or something. Well, it, I mean, I think about that a lot. Like our lives, our that? lives relatively in human history are very safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we go on all these adventures, whether it's a James Bond movie or a video game, uh, but we don't have to risk anything. Mm-hmm. 
So it's very, I mean, yeah, it's a very well, chill perfect, state of being. I feel like this is the perfect segue to like, we wanted to make, I, I kind of had two things I wanted to talk to you about today. And this is a great segue into like, so you have your, you're an artist, you're at home, you have your studio, it's basically your bed or your couch. Um, <laughs> let's be real guys. Yeah. And you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> guys and girls, sorry. Uh, yeah. And you're thinking like, you know, what, what about the outside world? What if I, what if my couch was in another country? Yeah. And there's one, uh, there's one kind of thing. There's, there's like a, there's a, there's a solution to this problem that that's existed for a long time. It's called the artist residency. Yeah, I, I love this this category because, can I call non art world people civilians or is that rude? <laughs> I don't know. Well, sure. civilians, normals, regulars, <laughs> uh, outsiders, it, they don't know what this a residency like. A residency is a home that's like in the common. It almost sounds like a, a home for old people. It's like, oh, I'm doing a residency. That's true. I never it's thought of it. very early to retire. <laughs> yeah. So the, maybe I think it's important to explain what it is because it's this weird Santa Claus mechanism in the art world. Uh, yeah, artists so get I, ripped off all the time, but there's this weird Santa Claus mechanism, which it's is... It's true. It, the the, the residency, yeah. And, and it's, it's also a rich people's fantasy because they get a house that's too big and they're like, what if we had an artist residency? So, <laughs> That's true. It, yeah. So it's basically anyone, whether it's a government or a city or a, a neighborhood or whatever, and they have a bit too much real estate, and they think, well, we could invite artists to do things here, and that would liven up our surroundings. <laughs> That's a good way of thinking about it. I never thought about it. It's like, we have this empty space. What if we filled it with artists? <laughs> then it yeah, would be crazy. Yeah, because they've been on Instagram and they've seen how cool artists are. So like, hey, let's invite. But it's been a tradition for a long time. I think it's very important for artists to travel, I, I guess for anyone. but Well, yeah, the idea is, so first of all, a res- like the format of residency usually takes uh, the form of either between, it can be as short as a week, but there are very few that are that are shorter than a week. And as long as like a year, uh, there are some residencies that are a year or longer. Yeah, and and they, they there's a whole spectrum of prestige and of obligations of freedom. And yeah, we should call out just what the top ones are. So those of you that get rejected, like I have from every top residency. <laughs> no, like if you're an emerging artist uh, in America, one of the top residencies is Skowhegan. Uh, it's a painting and sculpture residency for emerging artists in Maine, and it takes place in the summer. That's like nine week long. Residency. I was I didn't rejected. Know that. I was rejected from that one. I I I'm from the Netherlands, so I mostly know the ones that are offered by the Dutch government because they. Oh. It it became. We had an episode about grants, but it became a. The, the EU was asking the Netherlands, "Hey guys, you guys are giving so many grants to artists, but we don't know any Dutch artists. You guys are not famous." Mm-hmm. So then the the the. Public funding was like, well, we should send our artists around the world because then people will know about our artists. Yeah. Canadian government did the same thing. So we actually had three international residencies sponsored by the Canadian government, one in Paris, one in London at Space. And Space Studios in London is a premier residency. And then one in Berlin. And I'm sure you know about the Batanian in Berlin, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Kanzlerhaus Batanian, another residency that I was rejected from, uh, though I was shortlisted. Uh, what doesn't <laughs> kill you makes you stronger, Jen. <laughs> No, these are fantastic residencies. Those are top tier residencies. And in new media, the top tier residency is the I-Beam Artist in Residence, uh, which I, I always had the option to do or people told me, oh, yeah, you should apply. And I never it's I couldn't do it, though. And here's why it's three months long uh, minimum, I think. 
And so I think, yeah, I think that's what the airs are <clears throat> at iBeam. And uh, that's a lot. So if you're working, this is one thing yeah. that's problematic about art. I just wanted to bring up about well, artist residency. It's, it's very funny from the Dutch perspective, because I know from the American perspective, I, I know when I meet American artists and they're doing a residency, they're also still doing five jobs on the side. It's And some residencies actually require that you not have a job on the side. So the yeah, idea is they'll take they care of you. Yeah, and they require you to pay rent. It, it, yeah. I just have to tell you this story. It, the Dutch residencies are crazy because they will pay the rent and give you about 2000 a month to mm-hmm. live off of. So you mm-hmm. can definitely live off of that. And I was in the residency in Paris uh, for half Cite, a year. Which one was it? Cité? What? Yeah, Cité des Arts. Yeah. And, and um, Cité des Arts is this huge complex with all these uh, studio apartments, basically, with a small kitchen and a small bathroom, and, but pretty nice, and it's in a really great part of town. So every, I think there's about 200 studios in every country, like the U.S. has two studios, Germany has maybe four, South Africa has, every country has a studio. And most countries just decide who gets to go and then the artist has to find money to do it. Mm-hmm. And the Netherlands and Switzerland and countries like that have more funding. And I was going through all the letters of the previous, uh, so the previous residents will write a letter for the next resident. And saying like, oh, this was my experience, blah, blah, blah. And so one artist was like, well, it, it was a fashion designer. It was harder to get into the fashion world than I thought and blah, blah. And it was kind of reasonable. And then one illustrator was in Paris for half a year. And they're like, well, you know, Paris is really expensive. And this money was not enough. The subway ticket is already three euros. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and she just had no perspective how lucky she was. Right. <laughs> it was so... Yeah, I but just, I think if you're in and if you're in a position of precarity, right? You're thinking, have to, if what if you quit your job and you know, because yeah, 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 a residency yeah. can be a great launching pad for a career. That one, yeah, I mentioned, you meet Scout, you meet a lot of people, you see a lot of things. Yeah, like the Skowhegan one I mentioned. Um, like it's in the summer, but like usually that cohort, or like let's take the Whitney program as another example. Those people uh, usually go on to be quite successful. Like it, it's so hard to get. Yeah, in. it's it's like a country club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a weird uh, networking thing that happens, and those people, and you usually stay in touch with the people you did your residency with. And there's there's also a thing of of uh, like almost like a fraternity of a shared tragedy. Where that's you, right. You go right. through. My strategy was always to pick the ones that are not so... Uh, in the Netherlands, there's like maybe 10 locations. Mm-hmm. And the the most coveted ones are New York, London, and Berlin, because those are art capitals. Yeah. But I figured I can go to those cities anytime. You, you, you're always invited to go to those types of cities. So that's not an interesting place to go. So I chose Paris and Tokyo. And those were not that popular because they're not art capitals mm-hmm. but then you have a better chance so if i would have a pro tip or a life hack i would say pick residencies in weird locations um who knows where that are kind of impenetrable like if you if you go to tokyo on vacation you'll have a lot of fun but it's very different when you go yeah on a residency for three months and you have uh people on the ground there that are very excited that you're coming and you meet people through them it, it you're it, not a tourist yeah. It's that, truly I think like, that, yeah. I think that that would be my summary of a residency. It's it's traveling as a local, mm-hmm. and you're, where you're not. Yeah, exactly. And I think also working because you're usually you yeah. are making work. So, so you're, you're getting to know the subway system because you have to get somewhere, not mm-hmm. because you're going to see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I guess I take your advice in that I didn't get into any top residencies, but over time I've been, I go to, I do a residency every two years still. Um, and about, I should mention, maybe I can plug that I'm directing a residency in Oslo in, in June, uh, mm. May, actually, May, June, on uh, the artist um, entrepreneur. It's at this place called Praxis, but um, in partnership with a few I've heard of that one, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's new. But um, anyway, I, yeah, if you, if you want to hang out with me, I'm going to direct a residency, which is odd. <laughs> it's not a normal thing, but I'm like a lead artist. Um, I'll and... definitely see you. If you ever cash out and make a lot of money, you're going to start a residency. That's for sure. Well, <laughs> you're, you're yeah, not going to buy a sports car. You're well, gonna, actually, I'm Chris, start a residency. Kristen, my partner, she her favorite residency was like, yeah, she has like a, a wealthy friend who started a residency in the rainforest of Peru. And it's the it, it's really just like come like stay in this remote part of Peru. And it actually and changed. Creative. Yeah, it changed her life, actually. So, yeah, the uniqueness of the location can often be inspiring. Another one that was inspiring for me was in and was totally the opposite of like the, you know, of Cite or something like that, like a uh, Cite would be opulent by comparison. This was one I did in the Ukraine. And uh, it was I remember arriving what is there. opulent opulent like wealth like the guy was complaining about the the subway ticket price whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case there's like uh no subway ticket in fact the roads are just like dirt roads and yeah. you know mm-hmm. there's like dogs barking at you while you're walking along the road wild dogs chasing you um but i did this one in the ukraine and it was like i got an invitation just like can you be in the ukraine on monday and it was friday and i was like okay uh i was younger then i guess i was willing to take a risk and i arrived at the airport and you know, the, you know, in a residency, like you said, you usually have people on the ground to take care of you. But there was just this man with, a, you know, had my name on a piece of, of old paper. And it said, <laughs> and I said, hello. And he, he just nodded. And I, I tried to have a conversation with him and he just nodded. And then I realized he didn't speak English, which is a perfectly acceptable thing, right? He's Ukrainian. I'm Ukrainian, by the way, through my mother. Yeah. We get into a car, a car together. I'd never met this person. I, I This wasn't the person I talked to on the phone about being at the residency. <laughs> And for so we get into the car and I figure, oh, yeah, I guess we must be close. Uh, and meanwhile, like we, we, we I get into the car, he puts on some like trance music because we can't have a conversation <laughs> and all Ukrainians <laughs> listen to trance. And first hour goes by. I'm like, yeah, OK. And I tried to make conversation using like Google Translate a few times. It just didn't work. And eventually, like it, we just I just resigned that, OK, whatever happens, happens. But no joke, like more than eight hours later we're still driving <laughs> it's dark now it sounds there's, like a good movie i'm seeing like there's figures by the side of if, the road in your there's, biopic this is going to be a long scene <laughs> yeah exactly it is a long scene but like we're now in the countryside i can tell there's like less light there's weight almost no light but every once in a while the the headlights catch the glimmer of like people by the side of the road i'm like who are these people why are they standing in the middle <laughs> did you ever feel in danger <laughs> well so then he stops and he lets one of these people into the car. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? Turns out it's like there's no public transportation to get between yeah, towns. Yeah, hitchhiking is a thing. Yeah. And it, but it's like a controlled form of hitchhiking. They're like these little bus stops that you stand at to wait to yeah, hitchhike. Yeah. And, and so I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then so we, yeah, we drive I think in- the less wealthy a country, the more normal it is to hitchhike. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Uh, so then like two hours later, we arrive at this in this like small town um 
and I get out and I'm like, okay, I guess we're here. And he's like, he doesn't say anything. So we, we walk in to, he literally speaks like zero or it's very rare that you meet someone that speaks zero words of, of English. I mean, I think it's rare to, uh, uh, to our in pr- Chinatown. It's normal. Yeah, I guess you're right. It, to our, it's our privilege, uh, across Europe and, and, yeah. um, North America. So anyway, get into this room and I'm like, oh, finally, there's other artists in this little like shack of a house. <laughs> <laughs> and the other artists I, I'm like hi and and immediately they only respond in Russian <laughs> so I'm like oh no <laughs> and I realized that I'm gonna be like basically like have no one to talk to and be alone <laughs> thoughts for the and this is like a one month long residency so, so it's like a silent retreat silent retreat yeah but slowly we started to find ways to communicate the first way we found to communicate was with YouTube um like and ah, we would YouTube play. conversations. Yeah, remember you mentioned yeah. that in a previous episode. I yeah. forgot about this. Like we would, yeah, we would send YouTube videos back and forth. It's a universal language. It's a universal language. Like you like oh. puppy, I like puppy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I remember calling my girlfriend at the time, being like, "I'm, I'm not sure if I'm in a prison camp or if this is a residency." <laughs> how did you find this residency, or how did they find you? They were. It was actually a great. Um, curator that I'd worked with an Italian curator who worked in Moscow and this residency was really funny and it's what you said about rich people so this really wealthy um Moscovite you know like oligarch like someone who had you know inherited a power station or something like that he was from this town and he had like tons and tons of money and he thought um he could revive the town so the town was like just like dying right and it's actually mm-hmm. a really kind of an interesting town it previously a like jewish town uh that had protected a large number of jews during the second world war um and they, the way they protected them was like by putting a sign at the front of the of uh, the city that said like there's disease here don't come in or whatever mm-hmm. it actually worked anyway um but there was a big factory there that was like a they did beet sugar like they processed sugar Mm-hmm. And this factory unfortunately got sold, um, and this everyone worked there that was still in this town, and then it was sold like um, in a weird deal for a low price. I made a video about it actually, and uh, they just tore the factory apart for scrap metal. And this uh, Russian oligarch came in and he's like, so like sort of saddened by this. He's like, I know, I'll bring the town back to life with art. It was like you're saying, <laughs> like empty place with artists, <laughs> instant success. Yeah. And cool coffee shops. So imagine this though. It's like, it's like, um, it's, it was like a good two or three square kilometer piece of land. And at first, actually, he didn't think I'll bring it back to life with ours. He thought I'll bring it, I'll turn it into a a resort. And so Mm -hmm. he built an artificial lake and a boardwalk. And this is the west of uh, Ukraine. It is not. Uh, it is not a paradise. It is What's like the weather like? It's like it is today here in Toronto. It was like yeah. drizzly, cold, gray, <laughs> and it, most of the year. Like, <laughs> like yeah, when you, it's like starting a beach cafe in Scotland. Yeah, like because there are beautiful parts of Ukraine. I'm sure people have heard of Odessa and stuff like that. This this is not it. This is like where you, the farming and kind of stuff happens and. There's a lot of poverty. Actually, this town, like the main industry, I swear to God, was funeral homes and like <laughs> coffin shops. There was like a coffin shop <laughs> on every corner. It was so sad, Raphael. And the other yeah. thing in the Ukraine, you know, yeah, it was like coffin shops and dirt stores. 
joking. <laughs> it sounds like a Ren Stimpy episode. It's really weird. It was really sad. I, I'm Ukrainian, so this is my first time back in, like, my mom and my grandparents have talked yeah. about Ukraine forever. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is, like, for me, it was really hard, like, from a contrast. Well, Cause so, you, you experienced upward social mobility what that means yeah the contrast was so high so i come in for this to this residency and they gave you this huge i had my own factory like imagine a factory size space <laughs> and then they had these men that were like out of for work. the artist that does performance yeah exactly so they had the, and they, these big burly men who are out of work who used to work in the factory <laughs> and they were available for you to work we have 400 <laughs> workers for you yeah exactly like, and they were like they're like they, lead us they said we can do anything as long as it's like melting and bending metal cutting down <laughs> trees <laughs> And I asked them... I they was should doing, have asked Richard Sarah, not you. Yeah, and I asked them for... I was like, can I have some elastic bands? Because <laughs> I needed to attach some... I need a Wii- T1 connection, guys. Yeah, because like, I wanted to attach Wiimotes to my wrists for this piece. And I was like, all I need is a corner, like is some power. And <laughs> is there an internet connection? <laughs> and it was just like... It, I mean, other artists... There were some other artists there, and they were making a giant ball of tar and wood. <laughs> It's like, like it was like a Matthew Barney type piece, like epic yeah. scale. And I was like just sitting in the corner. Eventually, actually, another great another artist showed up who spoke English, and he made uh, like he would create these immaculate scenes out of cardboard. Um, so he he asked for like, could I get like two tons of cardboard? And I swear to God, like the next day, a tractor trailer like backed <laughs> into his factory. <laughs> just like dumped well it's, it's funny as you get older it, it used to be like there's a residency somewhere and you're like okay i'm in it, yeah. no question it doesn't matter where it is it doesn't yeah. matter what it is but now i'm like uh what neighborhood is it in? what kind of mattress <laughs> uh how's the shower right <laughs> yeah. yeah anyway I, that was a long story but it was all to say that I, actually that was a it, kind of defining for me in a lot of ways uh, was was it the last residency you're like this is the last residency I'll ever do no no I've done other ones I did one in Vienna a couple of years ago and I'm about to do this one in Oslo um, yeah. but uh, that was my most memorable and I think actually Kristen's uh, my partner's most memorable was this one in the rainforest the, the more remote I would say actually like these these remote opportunities these adventures they're the places you won't find yourself normally as an artist because the art world is like kind of like western in the way it's organized yeah Um, it's you're basically in the same town whether you go to mm -hmm. hong kong or to london there's an amazing uh, but again like all the ones that you look you fetishize on the internet like there's one here in canada that's become very popular on the uh east coast here called fogo island and it's like beautiful architecture like against the like harsh like uh northern atlantic landscape mm-hmm. so like stone and then like this modernist like slice of architecture and it's like contrast and people go there just to look at the residency buildings like as tourists and you know wealthy people eat in the cafe and there's artists working nearby on the coast it's rugged well um, I, I i really think that art is kind of a, a religion for atheists mm-hmm. and so we have these different temples and and those are the museums and yeah. the residencies are the monasteries where you don't have a lot of belongings and you go from place to place to work on things in the mind. Yeah. And and it 
but knowledge really workers or whatever. But the, this it's a survival strategy for some mm -hmm. artists who can't mm -hmm. pay rent, and they're just like, I'll just yeah, go from no, residency to residency because it's way cheaper than having a permanent apartment. You're absolutely right, and it's a, it can be a, a pretty good life. It can be tough as well. But there's like in Canada, like I you know Banff was always like the one that was like people really wanted to get because, and I've done that one. You have like a catered lunch and like dinner, and you, you have a view of the mountains and access to your own hot springs and like your own cabin actually like a with it's hotel like service christmas. It, it, I, i think most yeah. artists do a residency once every two years and it's like yeah. you get christmas but some artists game the system and just have christmas all year round that's true we all know an artist that goes from residency to residency and that's their hack um and you're right you can make work kind of full and if you don't yeah you can go you can do that you can do it you can do it For sure, but it it, it is. But a bit I, weird I know it's particularly in the Netherlands that the, the individual grants are shrinking, but there's a lot of residencies, so people will go to residency not that much because they want to go, but as a survival strategy. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah. I think it ends up being working out well because they get new ideas by being in another place and they're more visible. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, an example is Constant Dillard did a residency. He comes up again. In uh, Shenzhen, uh, in China, and oh, yeah. then he he did a startup because he was in that weird production environment. He so. does a lot of residencies. He also did the space one in London. I remember. Yeah, I'm not saying he does mm -hmm. it for survival, but yeah. uh, um, it, it, I think it's just an example of like, oh, I'm in in industrial China. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start making a product. So that, I think. I, yeah. I mean, I think the traditional residency is like, come look at this mountain and make watercolor paintings. Yeah, and I think um, when you're starting out, it's really it's quite useful as like to have a it it gives you some institutional support, some alignment, some access to other it, artists. It didn't and do that for me at all, mm -hmm. but it really uh, I think I was just absorbing Paris and absorbing Japanese uh, mm -hmm. visual culture. Mm -hmm. But then yeah, I did build a lot of relationships, and I met a gallery through the residency. So it did yeah, I did do that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I can't I can't knock them, but I mean, you know, watch out. My recommendation is like, don't get too upset if you don't get in the top ones. The idea of just traveling as an artist. I think, oh, there's another pro tip. Mm -hmm. Applying the first time is a thousand, ten thousand percent harder than every time yeah. after. Because first you That's have to, true. you're like, you're 20 or whatever, and you have to write down why you're important. Mm -hmm. So you have to write this biography, which is ridiculous. Nobody likes doing that. <laughs> It's true. But the, then the second time you make it a little better. <clears throat> But then now that everything is digital, there's no shipping costs. So basically, you just copy paste and you apply for 100 residencies in one day. And it, your chances of winning go up a lot. So it's, yeah. it, my friend was saying it's a lottery, but way better odds than a regular lottery. That's right. That's right. And I think then eventually. Um, and also, if you apply to 100, you, who cares if you don't win them all? Yeah. And, and then at some point. Um, They start to ask you if uh, you can do residencies, uh, and you have to say no, <laughs> which is a, a nice place to be eventually. So, do, do you have a, a certain residency that's still high up on your list? Like, oh, one day, hmm. I would like to go there. Um, you know what? It's funny. Yeah, that's an interesting question because at a certain point in your career, um, also the, uh, there's a certain point in your life where you you have a nice apartment and you're happily married and you uh, yeah exactly like and it's more do you really want to go away for three months mm -hmm. it's, it's that's what i was saying earlier like it becomes harder and harder to do like i try and do it every two years i do a month so i'm doing a month in oslo but um i think paid vacation bro 
I've always thought about doing the the I beam one or the or the Batanian. Those are still high on my list. Um, yeah. Do you know of anyone any specific residency that's just spectacular nature that you would want to go to? It's funny. Yeah, I just said like the two city ones that are most boring, right? Um, I mean, I would. I, I, the Fogo, I love, Fogo I love Hawaii yeah. and things like that. You know? Yeah, I think it would be one that's a surprise, but I do really like this Fogo Island because if you haven't been to Atlantic Canada, it's really beautiful. Um, mm. But it's like a really weird one too. I kind of like the weirdness in that, again, like you, if being aware of your role and your identity within the context of making art, for me anyway, I, I find that endlessly fascinating, the sociology of it all. Um, and the wealth in that one, in contrast with like the poor town, I don't know. I have, like, yeah. It's problematic. I'm always looking for prob- places where there are problems, um, but that's just I, me. I, I think uh, I got selected for the one in Tokyo, and a big reason why I was selected because they thought, oh, his studio is his laptop, so when he's here, he's actually <laughs> making his work. It's not like a, a sculptor who yeah. just makes sketches and then goes back home and makes the sculptures. Well, so, famously, residencies aren't just for artists. We should say that they, you know, writers get, a lo- there are a lot of writing residencies all over the world. Like the one I yeah, mentioned. Yeah, that's, that's, that's for the rich people who don't have a big room. Well, yeah. Oh, we'll do a writing residency. <laughs> we can't afford a sculpture residency. There's also math residencies. Like I mentioned at Banff, um, they have like a, a residency just for mathematicians. Um, and <laughs> this so, guy but, subtracts so fast. You got <laughs> to yeah, meet him. Work on really complicated equations. But uh, I actually am curious uh, if any of our listeners, one thing, you know, because I know a lot of people that listen to this are designers and I'm a designer as well. Um, and I wonder, you never hear about design residencies. And I wonder, do you know about if, I mean, this is a question well, for the, our listeners. All the, all the Dutch residencies are kind of multidisciplinary. So they allow, most of them. They allow designers I, I th- too. I think it's often uh, they send architects or fashion people. I don't know for graphic design. There's definitely fashion for sure. And yeah. I know there's like textiles, ceramics. When you, when you think about web design, like let's take web designers specifically. Yeah. yeah they're, it's, they're, such yeah. A, it's such a globalized um aesthetic and everything is so instantly connected more mm-hmm. than any i think more than any other creative discipline it's a, right th- there can be a trend and it, <laughs> it, imagine. it it multiplies in like a microsecond but it's kind of funny actually think about it that way it's like it wouldn't like you're what you're saying or implying is that local context wouldn't affect a website but um i wonder if it would like i wonder if you did like a yeah. you know an arctic res- website residency. i feel i feel like the designers i do know that uh, um uh, freelancing, they travel a lot by, by jobs, not mm-hmm. by residencies. Mm-hmm. Like, right. oh, I have a project for Sony. I'm in Tokyo for three months. Oh, but, I have a project for this and that. Yeah. But one of the sad things about the internet uh, has been the standardization of the website on around certain like template ideals. Um, I'm, I'm all for to, it. Some people are breaking out of that now, but you, yeah, because I you're I mean, that referring... would be another episode, but I, I always feel like a Google image search is the best artist website. Just... I, Whenever you want to look up an artist, like going to their website is way too hard. And then you just go on either Google Image Search or their hashtag on Instagram. You know, one thing we haven't talked about that just occurred to me at the back of my head that I that we have to mention in regard to residencies is like, um, it, it's really kind of, this is the scandalous part. You know, do you know what I'm going to talk about? It has nothing to do with websites. <laughs> okay, why. break it down. But basically, you know, you have to, if you're in a relationship, you have oh, yeah. to. You have yeah. to go, you know, bring your partner along with you to, to the residency. Well, it's very complicated because the partner is a passenger. Is like the, the kind of, 
you're busy because you have a lot of stuff and they're yeah. like okay i'm a tourist for three months mm -hmm. but i i can't emphasize enough how important this is <laughs> so, you know young man young woman who's listening to this podcast for the love of god either break up <laughs> with your partner <laughs> before you go do the residency or uh, bring them along and unless you're in a mature healthy relationship and you're not worried about that but if you're usually what happens is young men and women go you know that are artists creative people end up in these places and honestly because they're trapped together for a small amount of time in a remote place it's a well-known like scientists on the Antarctic. <laughs> exactly yeah it's like how every space movie uh ends or whatever but it, it's like a well-known fact that uh, what's that what's that tv show where they put uh, people of the opposite sex on islands and, the, and the, their partner can follow them via video and just they're putting all these traps waiting for them to cheat. <laughs> yeah, I forgot the name of it. I think I it's Paradise talking. Island or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like one guy surrounded by 15 bikini models. Let's see what happens. <laughs> right. But yeah, of course, like, you know, there's all kind. Anyway, all types of love happen in these places. So you just want to just go in with that in mind. Um, and I think actually that's why uh, some of the most successful people I know are partners that travel together as artists at these things. So that. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, it's ruined a lot of lives that way. So I guess I, I'm just one caveat. There's <clears throat> another sociological uh, it's just, calculation, we, anthropological research we could do. How what the numbers are? I'm, yeah, I'm sure everyone knows this already. But uh, I mean, it, it's definitely. It's, I'm very happily married, and uh, I feel much less of a need to. I haven't applied for residency since because it just seems if we go on vacation, I want to really go on vacation. Mm -hmm. um, she works full time, so there's a there's a limited amount of travel we can do. Yeah, it's hard and to that, be away from your partner though for that amount of time. Yeah, and I already have to travel, so yeah. also I, I've become much less curious of different parts of the world. I'm not, it, I I just have a few favorite places, and I'm very happy with those. So I'm I'm happy to go to Rio for the beach. I'm happy to go to Japan. I'm happy to go. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm not like oh, I really want to see Thailand. I really want to see Egypt. I really want to. Very happy with the network I have. So. Yeah, it, I I I feel weird sometimes. Like you're supposed to always. I mean, that's like the general belief of our culture is that you're always exploring and risk taking and growing. And sometimes, like I think things are pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah things are great. Is that a weird feeling? Should I, I mean, I, not, I, is, is it okay that I just like the places? You, get, you know, you, you get to have that for a couple of years. <laughs> that tragedy will strike. Uh, yeah, everyone gets to have their couple of I years. I mean, you, you have a few spots you travel to frequently, like the UK and yeah. the Netherlands, I've heard you, and Germany. But are yeah. you like, oh, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people really want to go to Japan. Like, I think you would have a great time in Japan. I know, I know. I'm still waiting for someone to invite me. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, like going there without an invitation, this sounds really like definitely privileged of me, but like it, I can't it feels, even No, but it's not that it's, uh, you know what it's I'm a I, I just don't, wouldn't know what to do when I got there. And I've started I I'll, here's what well, I'll say. Like, I think it's very entertaining, but it's way it's better if you have a, a, a foot in the door. Yeah. yeah, I've been spoiled by the invitations. I, I think the only problem with you is that your work is so language based and that's hard for them. It's I think they can follow one or two sentences, but if it's a 45 minute yeah, yeah like, fully like, English performance, that's really hard. So but does Seinfeld have a hard time in Japan? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course he does. I think that I think all the comedians play in northern Europe 
and all the English speaking countries. But I think it's I think it's hard for an American comedian to perform in Spain. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I've never thought about it, but yeah, that it must be. Yeah, that's basically the parts of the world that comedians do well in are the same places. So what you should do is start making uh, videos on YouTube that don't use the English language, but just use emoji. Mm -hmm. Or screensaver type games. (laughs) No, I think you could still use your body, but you're just like a a cartoony character. And every time you speak, it just spits out emoji out of your mouth. Yeah, like kind of. Like Like a Snapchat filter sort of. Yeah, and you speak about very important <laughs> issues about feminism yeah, but, and the pursuit of happiness and uh, globalization, but all in emoji. Right. It, but somehow I'll make it all about fart jokes, and then I'll be universally applauded <laughs> yeah. around the world. Yeah, trust me on this. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of fart emoji. Oh no. Oh. But but yeah, I um no, I think residencies are really great when you're starting. I yeah. think that's that's the model when you're not so attached. Yeah, and I yeah, I think getting out of your we talked about small countries, small towns, getting out of your small context, um, which is a great context to invest in for local community, but to start to grow your community as you're looking to like grow your network, it's a great way to get yeah. started with I, that. I, I often question this growth um Yeah. Right. This idea of growth—it's—it's it's so deeply embedded. In it's our more culture. of a—I wouldn't say it's an idea of growth. I think it's more of a avoidance of death. Um, so, yeah. Because in a there's local, something to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a local scene, eventually people will be like, "I've seen that, right?" Like, or I know him. We don't need well, to. Well, it, it's just that art is a a very niche thing, so you need a big environment that will support a, a very that's right nice thing. yeah when there's only a hundred people that care about something in one place you you kind of saturate that pretty quickly and yeah so you... like if 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 point one percent of people care about something then if you're in a town of ten thousand people that's not enough support yeah yeah so you're this is yeah we could do a whole episode on this but that's like absolutely but this is a good point it, it, it really is a, a survival mechanism for people that don't live in a art capital yeah yeah you got to get out yeah okay sorry guys i know that you have a nice home and a garden and a dog but you gotta get out gotta get out gotta get out yeah. um I, I guess that's what it's about huh. yeah go out because i i think if you if you start out in new york or london there's much less of an incentive to do residencies yeah but you know i i'm i'm kind of glad i didn't start out in one of those places because i would just be so overwhelmed by uh, or intimidated. So underwhelmed by the world. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you do get that, like, kind of, you meet those people and you're like, you have every advantage here and you're not taking advantage of it, right? They'll be like, oh, I'm just going to Netflix and chill or whatever. Like, uh, <laughs> maybe you should, uh, you know, get out to that Whitney opening or, you know, mm-hmm. apply for that residency. Anyway, uh, everyone finds their own way. So should we uh, talk about the field recording this week? Should we wrap this ah, up? Yeah, yeah. It's completely different. In, in our non-political podcast, I... I live right by Soho, so uh, I I started enjoying shopping more since I live here. I never like shopping. <laughs> yeah, God, Jesus. There's not much like, to do else. It's like, <laughs> oh, let's go shopping. And so you're such uh, a cliche, Raphael. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Canada Goose has a store, the flagship store in Soho, and there was a protest in front of it because Canada Goose is not so nice to animals. Mm, um, really. So. You'll hear people saying, Canada Goose, get out, Canada Goose. And that's the first half of the field recording. And at some point, some tourists walk by and start saying, 
animals are food, not friends. And they start making fun of the Canada Goose pro- protest. Oh, really? <laughs> it's a kind of... Oh, dear. I also thought, I mean... Uh, well, this is a Canadian everything success is, story, though. Everything I mean, is so twisted at this point that I immediately <laughs> thought that North Face had sponsored this protest. It's like <laughs> <laughs> Patagonia. Yeah, it was something like even but Uniqlo. Americans like, love go, go ruin Canada. Goose, Americans love to gang up on Canada for being like disrespectful towards nature, and we're always like, uh, "You kind of you ruined your entire. You have nothing, right? You, you every species <laughs> You've that was killed native every to America's <laughs> dead, long gone, and and now you're just like trying to preserve Canada. But meanwhile, it's like you know you'll do everything anyway. With the Canada Goose thing, I don't know the politics involved in Canada. It's viewed as a success story that somehow this brand managed to make. These Arctic jackets, which here are required. You know, I mean, you the name them. the name is great because you think Canada is so cold. This jacket must be warm. Well, you have to have a goose down jacket. This is the thing. Yeah, because 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 if someone said Hawaiian goose, I don't think it would work. <laughs> That's right. But you know, traditionally, that those are the jackets. If you didn't have them, you'd you know, yeah. Kristen, for example, she got she didn't get a Canada goose jacket. There are different brands here, but she got another one, and it changed. She went from like I can't live here in Canada to. She yeah, got same, this jacket and she's with, like, it's not so bad. Christina. Yeah, not so bad. She, I don't mind. Yeah. It's all about, it's also, she has this jacket that goes way down to her feet. So she looks mm-hmm. like a, like a win- winter burrito. <laughs> like a wa- walking sleeping bag. A, a winter burrito. Yeah. yeah. But it's all about the length. Yeah. Mm, winter know. burrito. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's what we're going to hear. So this is some uh, uh, civil unrest in Soho. Enjoy. And then see everybody next so, week. So it was previously an artist neighborhood. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <It's> crazy. <laughs> okay. What, bye would ba- guys. What, what would Basquiat say? <laughs> bye bye. Bye.